Texas talking oh, What was that that you said Texas talking oh, Gonna hoop up inside your head Texas talking Tell me who can you trust When Texas has Hi, this is State Representative Jeff Leach from Collin County, welcoming you to the Texas Tribune Tribcast. Today we'll be hearing the self-proclaimed experts at the Texas Trib sound off on such topics as the Dallas Cowboys' decision to skip over A&M's own Johnny Football in the first round of the NFL draft, and how the tables have turned in Texas football with five Baylor Bears and no Texas Longhorns being taken in the draft. They also might mix in some political talk as well. Now here's your host, Reeve Hamilton. Thank you. This is reporter Reeve Hamilton here with the Tribcast for the second week of May. We'll be calling an audible and talking about none of those things. But joining me to talk mostly about food, I guess, is executive editor Ross Ramsey. Howdy. Editor Emily Ramshaw. I'd rather talk about football. Well, it's not. I'm calling the shots here. I'm the QB of this <laughs> four-man team. Those, I was going to say, that is the extent of what Reeve knows about football. We're going to trade you to SMU. Maybe <laughs> yeah. you'll get drafted. And Nina Satija, reporter for the Texas Tribune, is also here. Hello, it smells spicy in here. <laughs> nice setup. That's Todd. <laughs> yeah, it's Todd's tea. Todd is uh, is the spiciest podcast producer on Congress Avenue. <laughs> Everyone <Jeez>. says it. <laughs> uh, Nina, you just got back from California, where yeah. you were hanging out at the Sriracha Factory, which is the food that we'll be talking about today. Can Sriracha you... is a food. Wait, now? that's not a food. It's a condiment. This is like no, but it, no, but it goes on. This is like ketchup as a vegetable. This is <laughs> right. <laughs> I don't think I said that. No, it's well, a thing. It's a thing that goes on food. With without food, there is no sriracha. Mm, debatable. So food's just a sriracha vehicle. <laughs> yes, I see. Okay. Uh, so what led you to be there? Well, her, her very generous editor. Yeah, that is very true. <laughs> I want and to go to California to cover something hot and stinky. Honestly, a suggestion from a couple of reporters who were like, why don't you ask Emily if you can go to California? It really um, happened quickly. Um, but anyway, the backstory, of course, is that uh, the Sriracha Factory in Irwindale, California, hugely popular hot sauce, does no advertising, by the way. It just kind of spreads by word of mouth, I guess, um, has Good been – Haha, yes. <laughs> you can't really talk about this stuff without – having a saying a pun um it, it's been in trouble with the irwindale city council for allegedly itchy eyes and spicy smells that are experienced by the residents that live around this factory and that's just the people who don't like the council right <laughs> well you know who, yeah well actually there's a rumor that the um that the that one of the competitors of this sriracha sauce factory hoi fung foods one of the competitors brother-in-law is on the city council or something ah. so who knows that's a whole other thing that seems like it's a pretty easy rumor to substantiate. I'll really have to go back. And <laughs> Local intrigue, that's, right? You know that's true, actually. Yeah. Okay. But I'll I'll be going back to investigate shortly, <laughs> pending Emily's approval. Um, but why were a bunch of Texans there? <clears throat> well, of course, you know, anytime California overregulates, it's the perfect opportunity for Texas politicians to point and laugh and say, "Why don't you come to Texas? We're so much more business friendly here." Um, and so that's really what what was going on. Um, it was a, a sriracha delegation, as they like to call themselves. Representative Jason Vialba and Senator Carlos Uresti, bipartisan delegation, going to Vialba is a Republican California. from Dallas. Right. And, and Uresti is a, a Democrat from San Antonio. San Antonio is supposedly where this new Sriracha factory would be built. Now, so. If they came here. If they came here. Vialba right. sort of looked at this situation and thought, this, uh, this plant is in trouble because it's making the atmosphere around it unbearable. <laughs> Let's try to bring that to San Antonio. Well, it's a little debatable what the effects are of this plant. I will say, you know, I wasn't there during the summer when this 
smell is supposedly really pungent because that's when they actually harvest the chilies and grind them right on site. So, you know, I didn't really smell anything while I was at or around the factory, but I wouldn't have. We, none of us would have. We would only smell it in, in the summer. Um, I think the reports are kind of mixed. It seems like, you know, the, the, the factory says that these smells come from, that these complaints come from just a const, just two or three homes. And the air the air quality management district, I think, um, which is a, the, reg, the, the local arm of the state air control, air pollution regulator, has has settled with the factory and says that there aren't any problems. So it's kind of unclear whether really there is a big issue or not, I think. Maybe people in San Antonio can stomach the spicy smell (laughs) better because, you know, there's a lot more Mm. spicy food. Well, the other did suggest that. Right. (laughs) But I I would say that it's not totally clear what is going on. It is also kind of notable that this factory has been in Irwindale for four years and there's never been an issue like this before. And the other thing that the factory owner, David, and the founder of – Hoi Fang Food says is that his workers don't even wear masks at all when they make this stuff and when they grind the chilies. So, so what are knows? the chances of this even Should, actually maybe, coming to Wait, hold on. What? <laughs> people are just breathing into my sriracha all the time? <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I just wonder what the chances of this plant actually coming to Texas are. You know, when it when it, it came up that this factory may sort of be in trouble in California, suddenly like every state and its mother mm-hmm. started going out there trying to figure out if there was a way to bring to lure it. I mean, what really – is this just a, like a bargaining ploy for the guy who runs the factory, or is there any chance this is actually going to come to Texas? It sounds like a bargaining ploy. Uh, David Tran, the um, founder of Huifang Foods, basically said in a press conference after the tour on Monday, we have no intention of leaving Irwindale. But they do need to expand. Um, the Sriracha brand is, is getting more and more popular every year. I think the – uh, their gross revenue was eighty million dollars last year. It was sixty-five million the year before. So I mean, it's really growing. So, so they, they so do they're bargaining with the city council that doesn't like them for zoning to build more plant. You know, that could be the backstory. That's kind of in- that's an interesting question because Me- the factory is almost at capacity now. Meanwhile, Vialba et al. are getting some good pro-business marketing for themselves. And national mm-hmm. exposure. There was a lot of media out there. There was a lot of media. But, They're jumping into a nonpartisan headline. It's great. But, yeah. you know, in order to have the factory here, we would also, in theory, have to have the, the peppers here. Exactly. Right? right. So the idea was, you know, the, the consensus that, that David Tran seemed to think, well, we won't, we're not going to leave Irwindale, but we might expand into Texas. But again, his whole point was, wherever we, we're going to go wherever there are chilies. And there aren't chilies in a lot of places. Chilies are not a, a huge... You know, they're not a commodity crop that's grown, grown in the United States. It's generally much cheaper to produce them in Mexico because depends, of the hard Depends on where you are. I mean, they're a commodity crop in New Mexico. They are a big – yes, but they're not a national commodity right. crop, I guess. But, yes, Mexico and California are the top Wait till people states. start having green chili cheeseburgers in New England realizing how good they are. Right. Well, they are certain – chili peppers are spreading in popularity. I mean, when you look at things like hot sauce and sriracha, that's a big part of that. But I'll just give you an interesting statistic. So, you know – what what Huifang Foods expects this year is that they're going to take 58,000 tons of fresh red jalapeno peppers from a single grower in the area in Southern California, 58,000 tons that are grown on 2,000 acres. Hmm. Last year – or I guess the most recent data that I would have seen from that's Texas – That's a smart farmer. <laughs> it, I mean that's, that's very high crop yields right there. Um, Texas grew about 8,000 tons of chili peppers altogether the in 2011. State. Over 3,800 acres. So the crop yield is 
like as much as 10 times less or if, if not less than that of maybe, what California can grow. Maybe the incentives just aren't there because the plant hasn't arrived yet. Well, it's, it's certainly It's like a field true. of dreams, a sriracha <laughs> plant of dreams. I think it's certainly true, and I've spoken to um, producers over here who've said, you know, it doesn't seem all that likely, but yeah, if we could get, you know, the single grower with a steady contract is the best way to do agriculture. You don't have to be looking for markets every year that you're growing your crop. You have a steady price. You have this person that, you know, you're trucking. It only takes a few hours to truck your peppers to them. It's, it's a great situation they have in California. So is this a thing? I mean, is this going to move? I sense? think it's not very likely. Um, but, you know, I think they'll be taking some 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 next steps. I think some of the growers in California are supposed to – the idea is they're going to come out to Texas and take a look at the soil and the wind. But, you know, that's the other thing is that climate is a big issue. Um, ironically, the issue in South Texas with growing peppers might be that we actually get too much rain. Um, hmm. Southern California is a great place to grow peppers. Right. It's totally irrigated. They don't depend on rainfall. And they actually depend on no rainfall during the harvesting season because if it rains on those red chili peppers, they're going to rot. So South Texas does get rain during the harvesting season. So. Sounds like Wichita Falls. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it's it's uh, it, there are a lot of things that go into it, um, and you know, it, it doesn't seem very likely that it's going to happen anytime soon. Why? Why do we think? Why is? I mean, Vialba's really made a lot of hay about this. He's, why is this so exciting? He's, he's made people? a lot of headlines. I mean, right. you know, it's sort of a self-answering question. I mean, he's got in the news. You know, he's in in the news in a way that he certainly wouldn't have been before. Just some, you know. Some state rep from Dallas turned into the guy who's trying to get Sriracha to Texas. Did, did anyone in California while you were there bring up the sort of perennial issue of Texas's job poaching? Yeah, you know, I mean, and Vialba kept, and Uresti kept saying, this is not a job poaching mission, this is not a job poaching mission. It's a job transfer. Some, yeah, <laughs> you know, <laughs> euphemism for something else. But I, uh, pe- people did bring that up, and California's regulatory climate and Texas' regulatory climate. I think it's important to point out this is all about the city of Irwindale. This is not really about the state of California. Um, so it's going to be interesting. If this were ever really happen, you know, we have a lot of local versus state issues here in Texas that we're dealing with that Texas Republicans are, are not happy about. So, Well, and I think the difference in this case is that, you know, Texas has made a lot of headlines for trying to lure, you know, big businesses away from other states. I think mm-hmm. a question is whether Texas could stand to, to lure agricultural yes. uh, industry away from other states at a time when, you know, we don't we already don't have hardly enough water to go around. You know, it, that's an interesting and sort of different approach than the one that Perry's been taking. Yeah, it's all about manufacturing and, you know, big corporate headquarters. I mean, look at Toyota. There were actually a couple of letters to the editor of the Dallas Morning News about how, well, we don't have enough water for Toyota. Why are they coming here? But if you look at, I mean, if you talk about bringing agriculture, that's a tenfold, you know, increase in the water problems that we would be bringing in. It's it's easier to grow trucks than to grow peppers. <laughs> well, you know what? I, it's not, it's, it's easier, but it's also considered more value. That's literally the way the state water plan looks at it, is that water for manufacturing municipal needs is much more highly valued than water for So higher and best use kind of thing. Yep. All right, so basically don't hold your breath yeah. on the sriracha stuff. But also maybe start investing in some additional antacids. Unless that, yeah, if they do move here, <laughs> two or three houses may want to hold their breath. Yeah, I, I, I sort of wonder in the back of all of this if the if the Texas chili companies that are already here, you know, the, the Jardines and the uh, Pace mm-hmm. Picante and those are going, what am I, chopped liver? You know, tr- start no, looking around. Chopped tomato. Chopped yeah, tomatoes. Yeah. Yeah. They're <laughs> a vegetarian right. alternative. Right. <laughs> <clears throat> uh, well, yeah, maybe the chili r- lobby will li- rise up. I don't know why that was so hard to say. <laughs> the rising chili lobby. I like now it. that I've exercised my vocal muscles with that little tongue twister, I'm going to try to explain impeachment to you, if that's all okay, right. Okay, please. Go for it. So today <laughs> is two days after 
<laughs> the Select Committee on uh, what is it? Select Committee on Transparency. transparency. And so the Transparency Committee. No one knows. The Committee that meets in a closed room. It's the Transparency Committee on yeah. Tra- yeah. I'm totally Committee on Transparency and State, State Agency, Agency Operations. operations. Yes, they right. met in a closed room on um, Monday. Rules trippingly off the tongue. They have been investigating University of Texas System Regent Wallace Hall, as you know, for almost a year. They actually got the proclamation for this investigation from Speaker Strauss at the end of June. So now we're in May. Uh, so it's been almost a year. They And they basically came out and they said they voted 7 to 1, grounds for impeachment in this case do exist and then they promptly adjourned um and so this is sort of a way of continuing to slow play this issue right yeah, they basically how said how are they going to do this for well they're going to meet again next week on wednesday uh and begin to sort of draft up articles of impeachment they basically were told by the parliamentarian you have Two charges here. Basically, first you have to establish do grounds exist, and then if grounds exist, you can either do nothing and just be like, yep, he's totally impeachable, and then I'll go home. Or you can agree on specific items of impeachment that you'd like to recommend to the full House. So, then so now they have to build consensus around what those articles would be. All right. But so if they are saying seven to one that, yes, grounds exist for impeachment, then how are you – how could you possibly be considered doing your job if you don't move to impeach that person? That's a very good question. So it's likely that they would move forward in the absence of other changes. And they were very clear during the hearing on Monday that they would like to see uh, something happen that would be the system or the people involved taking responsibility so that they don't have to. Right? They so, were like, so basically either Hall quits or the Board of Regents changes its rules in a way that Hall can't really do what he's been doing to right. make everybody crazy. Right. And what Hall has been doing is basically going out on his own and sort of investigating and pressuring people at the University of Texas at Austin. But they've come up with in the in Rusty Harden, the special counsel to the committee's report, they came up with some actual possible criminal charges. You know, mishandling private student records was one of them. Uh, there was some And that's the main issues, that's the right? main criminal charge I think that right. is being investigated now by the Travis County uh, DA's Public Integrity Unit. And so they have an open investigation. We'll see what comes back with that from that. Um, So is the UT system then taking any action as we speak in order to sort of try to avoid what might be the next step, which is impeachment? Or do they kind of want them to be impeached? Uh, Well, there are different opinions within the system and on the board. You know, (laughs) it's like uh, some people definitely do not. And some people wouldn't mind, probably. Yeah. so can the UT system or is the UT system right now working to institute any of those changes that might prevent an impeachment? So as we speak, the systems board is meeting and they're meeting today and tomorrow. So that's Wednesday and Thursday. By the time many people listen to this, it will already be after that. So they can go to the TexasTribune.org and see what happened. Glad to know we have someone covering this. <laughs> <laughs> yes, an intern. I sent while, while I'm here. Um, and so they, there is an item on their agenda. There are two items that might where this might come up in executive session. So once again, behind closed doors, most of the action on this whole issue, both at the board and at the committee level, are uh, behind closed doors, despite both groups, you know, transparent, touting their transparent yeah. nature. Um, so one is that at the request of the chancellor, they will discuss what the role of the chancellor is, and. At the request of Chairman Paul Foster, they will actually discuss and have some action items possibly on the governance structure and possible changes to for 
the sake of best practices, it says. What regents ought to be able to do. Right. Right. Um, and so we'll see. They might be they might be taking action, which is what the what the committee would like to see. You know, if I think Representative Lyle Larson has asked who's on the transparency committee mm-hmm. called has called on Governor Rick Perry to ask for Hall's impeachment four times now and right. not gotten a response. And Perry's people have said, like, yeah, uh, the governor is not really swayed not by happen. this. Well, you know, there's sort of an implicit approval of Hall's behavior by a governor who's not said anything against it. I mean, it's mm-hmm. not, you know, he hadn't been, you know, there's a provision in state law that allows a governor to ask the Senate to basically, you know, unappoint. Um, funnier way to say it is disappoint. Um, <laughs> Good one. To, to pull somebody and the Senate with its consent can poll a governor's appointee if the governor asks. So you can basically undo an appointment. Perry hasn't asked to do that, hasn't said anything about Hall's doings so far, hasn't really said much about this case. And, you know, he has uh, knocked the committee a little bit and said that he's insinuated that it's sort of covering up misdoings at UT Austin that Hall was looking into. Was able to expose. Yeah, Yeah, the thing about that, I mean, honestly, is that Hall has a lot of supporters who have said that he's exposed things and done, but he hasn't done a lot of exposing. He's done a lot of investigating and refusing to comment on his investigations, which right. is not the exact same thing as bringing issues to light. Well, it would be interesting to get this from the from this long conversation about the process he's been engaged in to the content of what he's found, and mm-hmm. and to see you know you know show show us your cards. Right. right. I mean, what and what's preventing him from doing that? Because that might clear a lot of this up. I mean, suddenly he he might have public opinion on his side if he came out and said what he'd found. Yeah. Well, I mean, so so he said he's found examples of favoritism in the admissions process. And so far, his lawyers have cited two letters of lawmakers uh, sending notes to the president asking for help for specific admissions cases. Um, But I think, you know, I would I think I don't know if two letters are going to get him to there there on public opinion. I think if he found a lot more than two um, and he found sort of a systematic operation of favoritism. And I'm not saying he hasn't. I'm just saying that he hasn't brought that to light. And he keeps saying, oh, I have this stuff, uh, but then refusing. And this has happened over and over. You know, he, he has refused. The UT board asked the AG's office to look into their law school foundation at UT Austin. And the AG's office said, all right, we'll look into it uh, when Wallace Hall, who really wants us to do this investigation, gives us a statement. And they got statements from other members of the board as well. And Hall has just refused to give refusing to give them a statement. And I don't know, it's one of those things where, sort of like UT Austin, when Hall went to UT Austin and said, give me this information, and they balked, you know, that creates, if you have nothing to hide, why put up such a fight? Same thing for Hall. It's like, well, if you have all this great stuff, why are you keeping your light under a bushel, as it were? Uh, so... I mean, we'll see. Yeah, I know. I haven't heard <laughs> that. Big, I haven't heard that since the 1880s. <laughs> it's a big thing in Houston where we grew up. That's right. <laughs> Uh, so anyway, so I mean, we'll see. There's a there are a lot of people out there that think that this is all some sort of cover up, but I, I you know it's it's not clear to me exactly. Now the committee did not subpoena Hall, and they subpoenaed other people. Uh, right, and the issue there was that you know they thought it might protect him from some that that might um, right. Give him some kind of you know cloak of protection around the. And so he refused to come, I think, for the same reasons, right? Well, he, he refused to come because they wouldn't give him the the sort of the cloak of security, and and so they don't have the testimony, and he hasn't said anything. But they also asked him for just give us people you want witnesses you want us to talk to anyone anyone to give us your side, and he refused to do that too. So he, right. he it's not just that he didn't respond to a lack of a subpoena; he refused to cooperate in every way. Well, and he sort of sees their offer as a trap. 
Right. So now the AG's office has has ruled in theory that the committee could have held him in contempt of court. Correct. Yeah, or could still or, or could, could hold still, anyone in contempt. Right. Uh, that was just a question asked by the UT system people to be like, hey, could you be holding us in contempt if we don't cooperate? Uh, and yes, they could. Yeah, the answer is yeah. <laughs> right. But they didn't know that at the time. Right. So, so how much about – sorry. How much of, of all this is just people just being silly and not getting along? Is that like a big part of all what's going on or not It's really? a Southern uh, Gothic, man. We're in the middle of a good Southern Gothic. I think that's about that's 65% of, of what I'd this is. All right. Fine. No, I mean, the thing is, and the thing is getting back to you know, what if he showed us all this stuff mm-hmm. – uh, like, say he's found amazing things. But, I mean, really what's being investigated is not what he's found or what he has not found. That's sort of outside the scope of the investigation. It's right. all about how he went about getting right. it. It's all process. Yeah. And so, the, it's the it's the means, not the ends. So Perry had this letter in December. I can't remember when you reported this. It was, it was, it was December, December, January, somewhere back in there, where Perry made a point of sending a letter to all of his other appointees saying, you may be watching some of the things going on in state government, and you may be concerned about whether you should be – vigorous in your oversight of the agency you've been appointed to oversee. And he pointed to a couple of three agencies where um, things had gone haywire and the board might not have done their duty and sort of encouraged them to be little Wallace Halls in all of their agencies. You know, it's just Mm -hmm. sort of a, he never said Wallace Hall, he never said UT, but it was sort of a, you know. Be vigilant. The wind beneath his wings kind of a thing. Mm -hmm. And then Strauss sent his own letter saying like, yeah, uh, but yes, also, but. you know... But don't break the don't law. Go, don't get out of control. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, all right, so that's what's going on. That's going to drag on. Man, Probably I am really that will tired add, of that, that story. That will end when the Sriracha factory gets here. So, so yeah. next, so Meaning next week, never. Yeah. So, so we get through the Board of Regents this week, and then next week the committee comes back right. and either does or doesn't draw up articles of impeachment. Or they could just start drawing up articles of impeachment and not vote on them yet. You know, at this there rate, there to would keep be this... no way to even. I mean, even if they proceeded, it's like it's going to be the legislative session before any of this happens. Right. There is some question of whether or not there's a time crunch because you know after November it's like a whole new cast of people and people sort of start to move on. You know. Right. And at that point, Perry only has a month or two left in his thing, and a lot of this is about the governor. It's his appointee, so ultimately, it's his responsibility. How long does Halls? term on the regents still. last it's uh, 2017 okay yeah. so he's around for a while yeah dewhurst who's been sort of an angel for the ut system you know minor might not be back perry won't be back yeah you could change all the players and maybe that speeds it up or slows it down yeah or just sends it like washes it away yeah but we'll know who one of those new players will be or we're getting a step closer to knowing who one of those two players will be right we have almost have our newest texas state senator but not quite Almost nearly. Uh, yeah, <laughs> More the, runoffs. Yeah, the newest state senator will be elected to Tommy Williams' position. Uh, Williams left the office. He was the finance chairman in the Senate. He's a Republican from the Woodlands. Left. He went to A&M in November or December. This is all a blur to me. Uh, uh, in the past. Late in, fall. In, in the past. <laughs> um, and, Back in 2013. And four Republicans ran for his seat. Um, Brandon Creighton fi- finished way in front of everybody else, but only had 45 or 46 percent. Who is Brandon Creighton? Brandon Creighton is a Originally state representative. Agriculture commissioner. Right. State representative from Conroe. And he was going to run for ag commissioner before this job opened up. And then um, Steve. Is this a better job than ag commissioner? Uh, it's probably a higher degree of electability. Probably had a better shot at this than he did at that. Mm-hmm. Um the um, number two finisher is Steve Toth, who's the uh, state representative who beat Rob Eisler. He's a Republican from the Woodlands. And he finished way back 600 votes ahead of a guy named Gordy Bunch. So, And then Mike Galloway, a former state senator, finished way in the back of the pack. So Creighton and Toth go to a runoff. 
that will be 70 to 77 days after the vote is canvassed. We're going to have a runoff in late July, early August. So, um, so four put aside people those, will vote. Right, put aside those summer vacation plans. and <laughs> Senate District 4 is the votingest district in Texas. It voted pretty heavily. It was... Um, they voted 30,000 people in the special election, give or take. They voted 19 of those 30,000 people in early voting, um, which was kind of interesting. And maybe um, might or might not tell us something about how voting patterns are changing. You know, in the runoff that's going on, the regular runoff that's going on in a couple of weeks uh, is the day after Memorial Day. And a lot of people are worried about turnoff. But if early voting accounts for two-thirds of voting, mm. early voting in that election starts on the 19th, if that accounts for two thirds of voting, you may get all your votes before before everybody goes out and cooks hot dogs. Yeah, but the, you know they voted in March. They just voted again. They have to vote in so a couple weeks. Voting. They have to vote. Most in of July, us, most of us don't vote, but those of us who do vote vote a lot. <laughs> right. That's how it's we got voter privilege. ID. That's right. Yeah. Uh, is there much of a difference between Creighton and Toth? Uh, yeah, I mean Toth's been painting Creighton as. It's it's a weird race, and this is you know kind of a marker for Republican races this year. That you know, you've got a very conservative guy saying another very conservative guy is actually a liberal, a liberal. in disguise. So Brandon Creighton's been a big advocate for the Tenth Amendment and for property rights and all of those kinds of things. Headed to I think he headed the Texas Conservative Caucus in the House. Um, he has been you know solidly conservative by almost every measure. Until you put him in a runoff with Steve Toth, who was a Tea Party guy who knocked off Rob Eisler, former public education uh, chairman in the in the Texas House, in kind of a surprise in 2012, and he's running to the right of Brandon Creighton. He's calling Creighton a liberal. You know, you've got kind of the same thing happening up in North Texas, where Bob Hall is in a runoff with State Senator Bob Duell of Greenville, calling Bob Duell, who's been a pretty staunch conservative. A liberal in that race. So these you are know, going on all over the place. In Democratic runoffs, Democratic primaries, do they accuse each other of being Republican? They do. I mean, that was one of the wipes against one of the swipes against um, Bill White in the governor's race in 2010 was that he's just, you know, he's a Republican in Democratic clothing. He's not sufficiently mm -hmm. liberal. You know, do you run the question for the Democrats is do you run toward the middle and try to win independent votes, knowing the Democrats won't vote for a Republican and will vote for you or mm -hmm. Do you run toward your base and get them all motivated and try to turn them out? And, you know, you can um, waste a bunch of whiskey arguing over that. Not a waste of whiskey. You just drink whiskey? a lot of Drink a lot of whiskey. Yeah, you could. I don't know that was an option before we started rolling. We should go find some. Yeah. <laughs> I think there's some in the art suite. Ask Todd. Oh, I don't know if they'll let us drink it, though. I should have played off that that was the reason I couldn't remember the name of the committee I've been covering for should months. Should have gone for that, right? Yeah. Uh, well, let's go to a little uh, media Tribune business update from Emily. We call We'd, it News from Home. Yeah. we That's our new segment. The Garrison Keillor tape. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Let's play some soft Wobegon. guitar music a, a behind A little you. Lake Wobegon. Right. And next I'll read you a poem. Mm -hmm. So uh, and so we have launched this uh, this new sister site, cousin site, brother site. Yeah. One of those. We launched a new site here at the Texas Tribune. Where all the men are good looking and the women are strong. Yep, exactly. You got and the it. Children are nervous. And the children are, yeah. 
anxious. Um, we launched a new site called uh, TribTalk.org, and basically it's an op-ed site where we uh, accept uh, submitted columns and also seek solicited columns from, uh, you know, elected officials, key thought makers, policy makers uh, across the politics and policy spectrum. So it's a beautiful new design. Lots of hard work around here went into it. But um, within the first couple of days, we had, um, you know, face-off columns from Wendy Davis and Greg Abbott. Uh, we had the family of uh, Bernie Teed's murder victim speak out against uh, the sort of Hollywoodization of that case. Um, we had Joe Strauss and Julian Castro, uh, the mayor of San Antonio, both with uh, columns today. So give it a look. It's a lot of fun. There's a really cool commenting system that's that's pretty innovative and where we're trying to sort of keep the dialogue high level and out of the weeds. We all it's, know it's how It's supposedly got some get. troll-killing mechanisms in it. There are some troll-killing mechanisms. There's the ability to respect comments even if you disagree with them. We'll see how much that gets used. Can you but, disrespect? Uh, you know, Ross, no. Darn. <laughs> yeah. It's going to be hard to troll. You respect or nothing. So, uh, so yeah, we're excited about it, um, and I think it's going to be a lot of fun. We have a lot of good things coming. What what led to the creation of this? Why why did we think we needed this extra site? I think that the Tribune has done a really uh, awesome job uh, providing a home for politics and policy reporting, um, and we wanted to have a spot on the site where there could be sort of a healthy dialogue around you know the state's priorities, um, and not doing it on the main Tribune site where we really sort of stay out of of anything that's not nonpartisan uh, politics and policy news. So basically, we provided a home where there will be no Tribune bylines. This is just people who you know want to make their best case for something and let the public weigh in on it. And we sort of had guest columns along the way when we started, since we've started, you know, here and there. Ran them in Texas Weekly for a while, and it's, you know, clear that these kinds of things need a home. Go to your home. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah, so I, I, we encourage all listeners to go home and look at the new Log home. Log into trip.org. For that. Go home and don't be a troll. So, I mean, if you have questions or comments that you don't want to have published on org then you can email them to tribcast at org. But then we'll just put them on the air instead. Yeah, we'll just read them. Emily will do a dramatic reading. It's true. I'm good at that. Uh, we'd like to thank Shiny Ribs for doing our music, as they do every week, and we greatly appreciate it. On behalf of Emily, Ross, Nina, and our spicy producer, Todd, this is Reeve. Thanks for listening. People used to wear hats all the time, and then they get really old after a while. And then someone came into town, and they had a new hat, and it was the talk of the town. And all the old hat people, like, were jealous of the new hat guy, and they took his hat and threw it in the creek.